Welcome to In Conversation with Kathleen. I'm Kathleen Kettles. I'm a psychotherapist and I love people and their stories. In each episode, I'll be speaking with a guest about what the word success means to them. And at the end of each interview, I'll be discussing the episode with co-creator and editor Remy. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of In Conversation with Kathleen. Today, I'm delighted to be in conversation with poet, coach for creatives and podcaster, Mark McGuinness. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Kathleen. Always lovely to talk to you. It's good to see you. So let's just crack on and start by asking you where you are today and what you're up to. I'm in my office at home in Bristol, UK. And um, this is a fairly typical day for me, apart from I'm talking to you. So I've been writing this morning. And this afternoon, I will be on Zoom coaching my clients. And that's how I like my day. My my usual day is a morning of writing and an afternoon of coaching and then an evening with family. Oh, that's very balanced. So how did you get to this point, to finding this balance in your life? With a lot of trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Well, I mean, I've done all kinds of things with different degrees of success and fulfillment. And I think one thing I do give my younger self credit for is that I always followed up on things I was curious about. If I found something I thought was interesting, you know, I would really go for it. I would follow that thing up. As far as I could, I would find the best teacher. I would work on it. Um, So poetry, you know, early on, I decided I wanted to pursue that as far as I could. And so I worked really hard and managed to get from my my local rural comprehensive into Oxford University doing English. Later on, I found an amazing mentor, Mimi Calvati, uh, who's an incredible, firstly, an amazing poet, but also an incredible teacher. Um, I've been working with her for a long time. Therapy, uh, our mutual friend, John Eaton, uh, brain the size of the planet, um, really inventive and challenging mentor and authority on therapy. You know, things like blogging, I discovered 2006. I read Seth Godin. I worked with a guy called Brian Clark, who's a real, really successful online entrepreneur and publisher. More recently, voice work, Kristen Linklater up in the Orkney Islands, an amazing teacher for actors and a few poets. I managed to inveigle my way into her class. Um, So lots of different interests. And You see, now I'm at the point where all of these interests are coming together in what I do as a poet and as a coach. Even the copywriting comes in sometimes with helping clients with their websites. And on some level, all of those curiosities, you know, those little, oh, that might be interesting. That was telling me something about what I would need or about a different aspect of my work. So I think it's it's really been about following up interests and see where they lead and then at some point trusting that they would all come together. So from that, what do you feel the word success means to you? When I was a teenager, I remember seeing an interview with Robert Smith of The Cure and they asked him this question. Well, it was slightly different because they said, Robert, you're an international rock star. Are there any ambitions left for you to achieve? Uh, which is essentially what I think you're asking me. Well, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and he said, well, actually, my one ambition is that when I get up in the morning, I can do what I want that day. 
So he said, I'm constantly in the position of achieving that. And I really relate to that. You know, if I get up in the morning and I'm doing something that I consider meaningful and important, whether it's work or writing or family, as, as long as I have the choice, you know, and I don't have to get up and do something I think is pointless, that is success for me. That's a really good point. I don't think we've had that sort of answer before with regards to success. People have talked about success evolving over time from when they were younger, thinking it was all about income and, you know, in the public eye. No, I was the opposite. When I was younger, I didn't think income had anything to do with it, which was a really stupid approach looking back. Um, but I, I have, you know, life taught me that lesson. I became much more focused on that. <laughs> so what was the biggest obstacle or obstacles that you had to overcome? And this is to do with anything. It can be to do with your work and your passion for poetry and anything. So two things come to mind, if I'm allowed two big obstacles. You are, indeed. Um, one was actually when I was at Oxford. I, in my third year, I ended up working myself to the point where I became ill and um, I was overcommitting, you know, I was being a perfectionist and a workaholic. And I got to the point where I tried to sit down and read a book and I got the most blinding headache and eye strain every time I did it. It was like I'd gone from being a bookaholic to being allergic to books overnight. Mm. And with the wisdom of the aforementioned John Eaton, actually now I had a really good therapist, Dr. Ken Worley-Brown at the time, who got me to realize he was the college doctor he got me to realize that actually this was it was described then as a symptom of stress and it was a sign to step away from the books a bit mark don't take this all so seriously but you know that was pretty pretty difficult you know i had to i had eight months where i couldn't read a book i had to defer my final exams and you know and i'd invested a lot in my academic identity at that point in my life and so then I had to invest a lot of, in therapy. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing that was when I was, you know, very early 20s. Um, another one that comes to mind is the financial crash. Okay. When that came along, we, we had just had twins, which was our first children. Mm-hmm. And a large proportion of my income at that point was corporate training, which was one of the first things that companies got rid of when the crash came along. So suddenly I had massive responsibility of the like I've never experienced before. And the kind of, you know, a large chunk of the financial floor was taken out. And so I had to really reinvent myself fast on very little sleep and time. Um, So those are two two times, I think, that I, I really had to make big changes. Obviously, with the issue you had at Oxford and you had a good doctor there and you were able to get his support and understand you needed to step back. What happened, though, with regards to the corporate work? How did you rejig that? What did you do next? Well, the good news is I was already kind of migrating online. I mean, it was 2006 I started my first blog. And like I say, I had some good guidance and mentoring from Brian Clark. We were business partners for a while. And so I. On the one hand, local in-person business was kind of drying up. But on the other hand, I had this readership all over the world for my blog. And I started working with clients online on this thing called Skype. And I remember one client emailed me from somewhere on the continent and said, I want to work with you. And I said, well, yeah, but you're there and I'm here. And she said, here's a link, download Skype. Okay, fine. 
but how do you pay me? And she said, here's a link, download PayPal. And I was like, oh. okay, great. <laughs> and that was really great. And um, and then I realized that instead of going into central London and paying for an expensive office in the West End and having to you know, coordinate times and the tube and all of that, I could just log on on the computer and then we would have a, a, a great conversation and then you know, just close the window and make a cup of tea and think what to do with all the spare time I suddenly had. So I I basically accelerated that. I got into coaching online, e-learning, training, later on self-publishing books. So yeah, that was, you know, I was already pivoting. I think the good, you know, again, give myself credit for my earlier self. I was already blogging. I'd started building up an audience and started to get the flickers of a new way of doing things. And that got very much accelerated at that point. So what was the internal dialogue like for you? Did you know that you would get over this? Or was it very much like, were there moments where you just stopped and were like, I can't, I don't know what to do. I can't do this. Yeah, there were longer than moments. Was there? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's really the worst thing about a tough time is is not just this is bad now, but I can't see a way forward here. Mm -hmm. I don't see how I'm going to solve this. Yeah, and that combined with, you know, internal dialogue saying, oh, you've, you know, you've really screwed up, you've, you've, you've taken the wrong path, you've made the wrong decision, you've, you've basically got it wrong. You know, there's a kind of a, a masochistic type of egomania, um, you know, that, that was really compounding that. Because um, I guess if you, and I see this a lot with clients, if you take an unusual choice, and it turns into a spectacular success, and everyone will celebrate that. But if you if you take an, an unusual choice, and it's not obvious that it's going to be successful, in fact, it looks right now more like failure, then there's, there's quite a lot of um, pressure and recrimination can build up around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm, I'm, was in awe of how you kind of reinvented yourself. That's the word I was looking for. And, you know, were able to come back when the crash happened. I think we met just we we had met actually at that point because yeah we had yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. I do remember that being a really difficult time and the knowledge you have also about well the knowledge you gained from that lovely woman who contacted you and said let's do it work together here's a link yeah. it really was such a game changer that wasn't it for it for so many of us in therapy it just opened things up because you know and it started off. Because I remember starting reading the blog, reading the blog, writing the blog. I was reading a lot of blogs, and I looked at the stats, and I, you know, like I had readers in South America and Africa and Australia, and and this was like in two thousand and six. This felt really quite revolutionary. It was like I was writing a book, and people were reading it in real time, which now just sounds like, well, oh, that's normal, know, that's, know. you know. <laughs> what get over it, Grandad. But actually at the time it was really remarkable. And but for a long time it was like, well, okay, but all these there's all these people that are reading my stuff. And I got we get emails, oh, your your blogs really helped me. It's it's terrific. But it took me a while to join the dots business-wise, but eventually that came. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And that joining the dots leads me on to the next point then. So did you always know that despite all the obstacles, that you would succeed? No. It didn't. No, next question. <laughs> I guess, it, again, it comes back to the success. Um, you know, so poetry is the thing that I've wanted to do the most for the longest. 
And I think on some level, sometimes quite a deep level, I have had a kind of insane confidence that I could do this right. I would get to the point where I would write something I felt was worthwhile. Now, that that has been overlaid by many layers of self-doubt at different times. But I think if if you think in terms of artistic, not even sure about success, but certainly fulfillment and satisfaction, um, I've always felt that, yeah, here's something I can do if I really stick at it. Um, but it's the external financial worldly success. I had long periods, but I had no idea what that would look like or how somebody like me could possibly get there. Mm -hmm. Well, kudos to you because you definitely have. (laughs) I also want to just touch on the, well, not just touch on the poetry, talk about the poetry because this is something that I knew about you from when we first met and you'd been at Oxford and you were you were somebody who referred to loving poetry, you referred to yourself being a poet, but you really, it really took off. And I'd love you to share with the listeners. I mean, you're award-winning. Well, let's start with that. Um, what do you want me to say about that? <laughs> I want you to tell us how that came to be. Um, well, just send poems into competitions. Oh, and... stop making it sound like Sunday Post special. It's a bit more than that. <laughs> Well, obviously, you know, there's a bit that the kind of, you know, the hinterland behind that is spend a lot, long time learning how to write poems. Um, and yeah, but I mean, most of the time, most poems get rejected because, you know, you walk down the street, you never meet a poet, but you enter a competition, there are millions of them. <laughs> and so the odds are quite steep. But what I do was... You know, um, the way the poetry world works is you send poems out to magazines and also competitions, and um, you get a lot of rejections. But if you stick at it, and maybe if you're a little bit canny, as I believe the Scots say, about who you send it to, sometimes you think, okay, that's a poet, the poet who's judging, say, the competition. You think, well, that's somebody whose work I admire. It resonates for me. And sometimes I will enter because I think, I wonder what they think of my stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and there's equally some poets, I think they probably wouldn't be into my stuff, so I'll send it somewhere else. So, yeah, I think just being a little bit persistent and canny about where you send stuff. Yeah. Um, but most of all, it's it's if if you want to be good at the thing, then find someone who will help you be good at the thing. And that has been Mimi Calvati yeah. for many years. That's brilliant. And I'd love you to talk a bit about your poetry podcast because that's taken on a a big part of your life now, hasn't it? Yeah. So on the one hand, the poetry world involves quite a lot of sending stuff out and waiting. And um, that's the way it is. And I don't really have a problem with that. Um, But I also like, as you know, I'm a bit of a control freak. I like to be in the driving seat i like to have more of a direct relationship with readers and listeners and so i launched a poetry podcast a little bit over two years ago it's called a mouthful of air which is a great title i know that because i stole it from wb yates (laughs) um he said in one of his poems i i made it out of a mouthful of air so he's talking there about poetry as an oral art as a spoken word even a performance art, um, which is much older than writing. You know, writers are a bit Aravist, a bit <laughs> Johnny Come Lately. <laughs> 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 um, 
Um, I'm joking. I'm a writer. Writing's great. It's great. You know, we've had it for 5,000 years or so, and it, and it does a good job. But also, I think there's something about poems that I like to think they're amphibious. They live in different elements. You can have them on the page, and you can appreciate that. But also, there's nothing like hearing a poet read aloud and that visceral connection you get which takes us all the way back to the Mead Hall where someone was twanging his harp and reciting Beowulf or the Odyssey uh, at the Drunken Revelers. Um, so the, the podcast is designed to just help to recreate something of that connection because, you know, as we know, podcasts are a wonderful medium. It's a real privilege. People listen to them in their private time, in their me time, they're walking or driving or exercising or pottering around the kitchen. And it's a lovely, intimate space. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be lovely to put a poem into that, you know, to read a poem? So the way the show works is every episode is about a single poem. Um, half the episodes are me reading classic poems. So the first thing you hear is me reading a poem. Then I will enthuse about it. I will talk about why I chose it, why I think it's great, how the poem works. And then you hear the poem again. And the idea is it should sound different the second time round in the light of the, you know, the enthusiasm um, and ideas that I've put out there. So that's half the show. The other half is contemporary poets. I invite them to read one poem from their latest book. And then I interview them about the inspiration and the writing process behind it. And then again, we hear their poem again. And it's it's nice because it's always the same recording of the same poem the second time round. But listeners say it does sound different because they hear different things in the light of, of the discussion or the commentary. Absolutely. And I think that's what I'd written here about how I found that the po your poetry podcast breaks down a lot of barriers for me because I was that kid at school who didn't understand poetry, didn't get yeah. it. You know, yeah. had to learn it for school. Um, wrote, but you never know. You you never really knew what you were saying or what it meant. <laughs> you just had to learn. Yeah, I think poetry is really one of those things where uh, the, your school experience could be quite formative. I was lucky. I had two amazing English teachers, Sue Dove first, and then Jeff Riley, and they opened the door for me. I mean, really, I think the genesis of the show is lessons with Sue and Jeff, where they, they would give us a printout of one poem and we would talk about it for an hour. And they would, at the end of the hour, there were still things to say about it. And for this little block of text, I found that amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's really the kind of the sense of wonder that is what drives the podcast. But I, as I understand it, a lot of people just have this experience of being given poetry as something that's up on a pedestal, supposed to admire but no idea what it's on about it's all this weird old phraseology and people bang on about the rules mm -hmm. of things like the sonnet and there aren't any rules there's just things that work and things that don't and so what i try and do with the podcast is i want to just take away all of that and and say to the listener actually you can trust your experience of a poem and so this is the reason why you get the first thing you hear on the episode after the music is the poem you know you, you don't get an explanation you don't get here's what you need to know to order a priest no you don't need to know anything just treat it like music listen to it see how your body responds see how your your heart and your mind responds and then let's talk about that mm -hmm. you know it's really good and it does reach i imagine it reaches a lot of different people across the board whose experiences have been very different to your own it, it does i'm really 
delighted that I always want there to be enough that would interest a poetry geek like me, and there seems to be. But it's also just amazing to hear from listeners all around the world. One of my favorite comments was the, the podcaster Kaylock Culp. She said, I used to run screaming from poetry, but now you've opened the door and I can appreciate it. Brilliant. Um, another one, uh, Dr. Matt Morgan, who's an intensive care doctor and a really successful author about medicine. He was on Twitter one day saying he always felt that he was excluded from poetry at school, but again, it opened the door for him. And, um, you know, it's very heartening to get messages like that from people saying that it's helped. The show has helped them give poetry a second chance. Yeah, absolutely. And, love it. and obviously, the, when you talk about it, I just feel very drawn in because I, your knowledge is, is amazing and your passion <laughs> is felt when you're talking on the podcast, too. You can feel it. So Remy will put links to the show, obviously, on the show notes, links to the podcast on the show notes. I wanted to ask you about your other podcast, which I also, uh, I've actually listened oh, to, yes. <laughs> The yes. 21st Century Creative. Can yeah. you tell us about that? Is there going to be a, is it sixth series? I've done six seasons so far, and I'm thinking what to do for the next step on the podcast. So that is really so that podcast is it it's called the 21st century creative and it's for 21st century creative professionals so anyone and it you don't necessarily have to be earning your full-time living from it but anyone who takes their creativity seriously enough to want to do it at the professional standard and it's it's a, a little bit like having a window on my coaching practice because when i work with so that's all i work with is professional creatives these days and but i have everybody from fine artists and novelists and poets all the way across to commercial creatives agency people film directors um tv producers jewelers designers you know all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff but what they all have in common is that they, they've chosen the creative life and as we know the creative life is is unpredictable it's exciting. It can also be scary uh, and uncertain. And so on that show, I interview inspiring creatives. Um, and every season, I try and have a similar blend. You know, there will always be one, you know, standout artist. There will be somebody who has got some kind of commercial or entrepreneurial success. There'll be something about weird futuristic technology like AI or virtual reality or flotation tanks. There'll be something about personal development, leadership, communication skills, and so on. And it's re it, it, it's there's two things in every episode. One is me in the pulpit talking for five or ten minutes about some aspect of creativity or the creative life. And the other one is a, an interview with a guest who's who's done extraordinary things uh, in some creative field and what we can I learn from it. Absolutely love it. I really miss that there's been a bit of a, a hiatus, hasn't there? Between well, again, a pause, <laughs> the calm before the storm. But no, there is, I'm actually, this morning, actually, I was working on um, something that will be part of the next phase of that show. So, so it will be coming, coming soon. Honestly, it was, I think it came out on a Monday and I would not book anything in so that I could hear it as soon as it came out. I would go for a walk around the woods and I just have you in my ears and, 
just loved it. And and sometimes I would read who the guest was, and I was like, mm, this is maybe not going to be for me this week. And it always was. And there was never a guest. Right, I'm- right. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, because it's not a, um, you know, there are some great podcasts that are for, say, authors or graphic designers or filmmakers or whatever. And you listen to that because you've got the same profession and you want to, you know, learn about that. But but mine and also yours it's it's very much about the people and you know yours is you've obviously got this wonderful theme of success and how you define that how you achieve it how you fall short you know whatever and that's something we can all relate to and it's the same with my because what my show does is says okay we're all creative you know we've all got different technical and artistic skills and we've got a lot in common in terms of our mindset in terms of our values our motivation our relationship with the inner critic, our um, relationship with money and fame, etc. And so I always like that response when somebody says, well, I didn't think this would be for me. But when I listened, there was so much I could relate to. Absolutely. And and I really mean that across the board. I would, you know, if something was like a technical artist, um, you know, I mean, like, um, what do you call it when people do things on the computer? <laughs> digital. Technology. Digital. digital, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> modern things. Yeah, modern things. But yes, the digital artists and people who are working in a genre that is completely miles away from textile art, which I love to do, they always had more than one nugget of information for me that resonated and I could think about and bring into my own practice it was it's a really I can highly recommend the 21st century creative have a listen there's plenty of episodes if you've not started yet thank you you're welcome now I have got another question for you if you witnessed a friend going through your journey and I'm thinking specifically about when you hit the obstacles what words of encouragement would you have for them to help them not just stall? Because this is basically a lot of this podcast is about this because when I work with clients, they are often saying, well, I've just failed at this. I've not succeeded. So what would you, what would you have to say to them? So so if I saw somebody taking the same path that I had taken, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I think I would say, really? (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) Um, but if I actually if I saw that they were serious, I would say, okay, fair play, good effort. Um, I admire your single-mindedness. Um, and what I would say is, look, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be hard and it's going to hurt. But you're also going to have a lot of wonderful adventures. And so if you stay true to your mission and you keep your self-awareness and your sense of humor, very important, and the sense of humor, um, then you can figure it out. You know, you you can find a way to succeed on your own terms and to have the satisfaction of doing that. Brilliant. Yeah, that's really good, Mark, because it can be difficult to see someone struggling in certain areas that you know you've been there. And sometimes I think people aren't always ready to hear that there is a different way or there is a way of getting through it. And that's really encouraging to stay honest to your own desires. Even if you can't see what it is right now. I mean, so I never forget a conversation I had with my coach, Peleg Top, out in the States. And I was getting bent out of shape of some problem or other that I couldn't see a way past. And he said, yeah, but let's let's face it. He says, you are going to figure it out. He says, because you always have. He says, can't you just trust that your future self will figure it out? 
And that was great because it just, A, I didn't have to do it in the moment. And B, it was it was a way of just saying, look, you can trust yourself. You are in you you've got a certain level of creativity and ingenuity and, and persistence. You yeah. you'll you'll figure something out. That's right. And and I, I like the phrase, and I say this often, I have said it often in my life when things are difficult. It's not always going to be like this. No, it isn't. And you have to remember that on the good days as well. And yeah, I know. Them exactly. too. <laughs> when I get lost in my car, before sat now sort of thing, I was always getting lost. And I would say to myself, yeah, but you're not always going to be driving around Manchester not knowing where you are. <laughs> Eventually, you will end up back at home. But you were only yeah. popping down to Stirling from Scotland. So I don't know how you ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it may wrong. take some mileage may vary yeah <laughs> i think that's it if you feel like this is it you can become very down about that very quickly and that sort of tunnel tunnel vision you can't see a way out but that's that's great advice mark so thank you so much for today is there anything else you would like to add before we remy and i have our private chat and tell you to go away so we can talk about you okay so one thing i would like to say which i say a lot to clients and I think it's yeah, it's in one of my books as well. Uh, your struggle is a key to your superpower. Very often, the thing that you think is your biggest limitation, you know, the thing that's wrong with you, um, or that that seems to be creating the most awkwardness or difficulty in your life, often that can be a, like an embryonic superpower. It can be a clue to what you are really good at. So, for instance, for a long time, I felt like poetry and career were were duking it out in my life they were on opposite sides that i had to kind of keep them in separate cupboards so mm. to speak um and then but these days it's a it's it, it it's the thing that plugs me in that i do first thing every morning read write poetry and that sets me up for the day i'm plugged in i'm better at everything else if i've been writing poetry this morning and also, funnily enough, it turns out that that's one of the things that is attractive about me as a coach. I hear over and over again from clients and potential clients, oh, when I saw you were a poet, then part me relaxed because I thought, okay, he gets it or he, he, he will get me. Yeah. And so weirdly enough, it's, it's actually it, it's one of the most helpful things career-wise as well as artistically which i would never ever have guessed so your struggle so if you've got the struggle then just say well what is it what if there was something about this struggle that was a clue to a superpower to the thing that made me special and different and valuable maybe not to everybody but to a certain type of person what could that be that's a really good oh i'm gonna have to think about that i've written it down i'm gonna be thinking about that Thank you so much, Mark. That has been just a joy to speak to you. And uh, I'm sure the audience will love what you've had to say about your journey and what the word success means to you. Well, thank you, Kathleen. I mean, it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I know you're a good friend, so we always talk about we have a good laugh. But actually, you're an amazing therapist and coach, too. Thank you. I know that firsthand and I know your clients, too. And I'm not surprised you do such a great job of this podcast. So thank you. Oh, thanks so much, Mark. Well, that was lovely. Mark's mm. got such a nice energy, doesn't he? He really does. And, you know, he's created a life for himself now that is so well balanced. You know, he talked there about he writes poetry in the morning and then his day is set because he's a better 
person in every way because it's such a passion for him. It's such an important part of his life. I loved that. I thought that was very interesting to see him and hear him talk so clearly about the journey that he has. And it hasn't been without its obstacles, let's be honest. Mm, Yeah, what he was saying about when he was at university not able to read a book for eight months. I couldn't believe that. And imagine you're in Oxford and what it takes to get there. And then suddenly the thing that is absolutely essential uh, is taken away from you. So amazing that he had a an understanding doctor who, like from the reverse therapy approach, it would all be about the mind body. Okay, this boy needs to take time out from reading. So what can we do? I know, blinding headache and poor vision. That'll mean he can't do it. So mm-hmm. it's an amazing thing when you see such a very specific symptom to change that person's um, interaction with the world. So thank goodness he got over that and was able to complete his his degree and become the person he is today. And like you said, the balance that he's got today sounds he sounds very peaceful about it, doesn't he? And yeah, he's got some lovely things that he does. And and just at the end when we'd stopped recording, he was talking about the poetry sculpture that he'd done, which I'll I'll mm-hmm. put in the show notes as well. And so not only does he have his podcasts and he's writing and you know, he's also got other things going on and a family as well. And he's obviously given his time for this podcast, which is lovely. I know it's lovely. And I liked also the question about what does success mean to you? And he said, doing what I want and having the choice to do what I want. Mm. That's great. And that's across the board, you know, time with family, time writing poetry, time on the podcast, um, you know, and, and obviously his coaching, his creatives. It just sounds like he really has got it sorted. And and interesting that his answer to did you always know you were going to be successful was a resounding no. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, next question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that was funny. Um, yeah. So the the mouthful of air, I would highly recommend the podcast, A Mouthful of Air, and Mark's podcast, The 21st Century Creative. It really is worth listening to. Even like me, the, the going back to the poetry one, um, a mouthful of air, even if like me, you were put right off poetry in school, have a listen because you will take something away from it that you weren't expecting. And I can imagine that, you know, he's got such a a humble energy and I imagine that the way that he talks about the poetry is quite um, accessible as well. And he seems quite keen to make it an accessible art, which I thought was really great. It seems like he's always been quite an innovative person like he's obviously got lots of stuff going on um and he said right from the beginning that he would always follow up what he was curious about and I think that's really important like staying in tune with what you are interested in and putting some putting energy into kind of pursuing that more so I thought that was a really nice um piece of advice and he also he's got a good sense of humor doesn't he quite dry dry sense of humor um and and it seems like that's been really important in the way that he lives his life so yeah and yeah that following up on your interests his message is do it just do it and see what it feels like so the corporate crash happened and he still was able to find another way to provide a service to people and earn money and create a life for himself I mean just every step of the way although he's had really big obstacles sometimes he has recognized the need to keep going and to not lose sight of the the change is happening yeah and and that links in I think with what he said near the end um, about your struggle is a key to your superpower Mm -hmm. and I think what he was what he was referencing at that point was maybe about the things that you find hard but also I think 
his experiences as well were sort of the the seed that was planted to kind of innovate and and create new opportunities for him, himself it's like that um saying i can't remember the exact wording but like the cracks are where the light gets in yeah yeah. yeah. So, so an experience that was damaging or difficult for you, that's, you know, that's um, new beauty can be created through that experience. That's so, so true. Well, thanks, Remy. That was a lovely chat and it was good to see Mark again. Haven't spoken for a wee while. Uh, lovely to catch up with him and so glad he agreed to be a guest on the podcast. Yeah, great to have him. And I'll stick all the relevant links in the show notes. Thanks, Remy. Thanks for listening to In Conversation with Kathleen. I really hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy making these episodes. In the hope that someone else benefits from listening to the show, please like, subscribe and share. I look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks for listening.